You sit in church week after week, embracing the truth of God's word. You believe the gospel and claim Jesus Christ as your Lord. Yet you continue to struggle with pornography. You feel like a hypocrite, returning to the sin you hate that mocks the God you love. You desperately wonder, is lasting freedom even possible? Yes, you can overcome pornography, but not alone. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Only by repeatedly running from sin to Christ with other believers can you hope to enjoy lasting freedom. You can live with purity and integrity. Take courage, seek accountability, and do whatever is necessary. Get equipped at accountabletoyou.com. So, here's the question. Has God forgotten about the West, or has the West forgotten about God? Then if people get mad, they get mad at Curtis, Russell, and David. (laughs) They get less mad at you. You can have plausible deniability, right? You can just say, hey, you know, I don't agree with everything these guys say, but I think they're worth listening. That's the classic move, you know, you do make as a pastor, right? uh, You want to inject something, but, you know, not have to take all of the shots for it, which you shouldn't have to take all the shots for. That should be part of our job is to do that. That's the partnership here. Well, I guess he answered that for us. (laughs) Oh, man. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, we're in trouble. Um, Welcome to Cross Politics. Yeah, there's no Gabe here, so you're stuck with us. Gabe's out. Doing yeah. stuff. He's in Nashville right now. He's supposed to be out there with Jason Whitlock and at the NRB conference and doing yeah. a whole bunch of stuff. He's going to. What be... do you get on cross politic when it's only Pastor Toby and Knox and Pastor Nate from Canada? A whole lot of fun. <laughs> I'm, just trying to, I'm trying to do a Gabe. Isn't that how Gabe Yeah, that's how Gabe usually starts it. Our Lord Jesus sent out his disciples into all the earth. Throughout the history of the church, the Lord has raised up servants to go forth with courage to bring the word of the gospel to the farthest Corners this year for Christ Church's annual missions conference. Speakers will give biographical sketches of a handful of exemplary missionaries. Scripture teaches us to imitate the faith of those who are faithful. So join us in Moscow, Idaho, for a weekend reflecting on the great providence of God and sending out men who braved the darkness of heathen lands to bring the light of Christ's gospel. I, I think I'm just thinking as I'm reading this, like pretty pretty quick, like we need them coming yeah, to yeah. Canada and America. Yes. So sign up at www.christkirk.com slash missions dash 2024. One Boy. more, but that that's not all. Got that one that more. really is a weird contrast between the clip we I just know, played and I know. the ad. That, it's like, mm. yeah, do we need missionaries? Yes, we do. Sick of anemic milk toast and squishy evangelicalism? So are yes, we. Yes, yes. How did you know? <laughs> That's why we launched Christ Bible Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. Christ Bible Church exists to glorify God by bringing all of Christ into all of life. We aim to preach and live in the light of Christ's sacrificial death, no matter what the world says. If you're interested in bold preaching, culture building, sweet fellowship, and applying the Lordship of Jesus Christ to all life, then we'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at Christ Bible Church in St. Paul. Where? I, I want the address. I just want to go. Find out more information at www.christbible.net. Christbible.net. 
Dot. Let's go, Minnesota. Net. Yes. <laughs> I love this. My hometown. Uh, right right across the border, 15 minutes away. We are so grateful to have with us back on the show one of our old friends, Nate Wright. He's pastor at Crossroads Church in Ontario, Canada, and is the Canadian director of the Ezra Institute. He also hosts the Rebel Podcast, which is, of course, on the Fight, Laugh, Feast yes, that's right. app. Nate, thanks for coming back on Cross Politics. Awesome to be back. Love being with you guys. Absolutely. So, uh, Nate, you just heard us open the show with Mr. Curtis Chang um, saying that, you know, you can take all the most important things, the most volatile things that a pastor needs to address with the congregation. You can take those and you can outsource them <laughs> to, yeah. to this, this uh, you know, small group. Sunday school curriculum called the after party. You can let them take care of it for you outside of worship. So, so you can have plausible deniability. Curtis Chang says that's the classic pastor move. Yeah. Uh, Classic. Nate, is that your classic pastor move? (laughs) I sure hope not. Um, I, I mean, I, first of all, I can't, I can't think of three guys. I would be more uncomfortable outsourcing that to should I want to outsource talking about politics to my church. Mm. Um, But I mean, how sad is it that the classic pastor move in Western evangelicalism is to abdicate responsibility to shepherd your flock. Right. Like at the end of the day, that's what he's saying. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's sad. And I think, you know, lots of ink has been spilled uh, by guys uh, fighting the, fighting the battle with us on this. But I mean, it just shows the feminization of the pulpit. I mean, at the end of the day, what is masculinity? What is biblical manhood? It's taking responsibility. It's bearing responsibility um, for even righting wrongs that, you know, you didn't have a hand in making. And uh, yeah. and yet he's telling us, no, no, just just outsource it to us so that uh, you can still look good. You don't have to do the hard things. And uh, if there's any backlash, you know, you're protected from it. So, yeah, just abdicate your responsibility and outsource that to us. Sounds awful. Yeah. yeah. Seems like it, this is also like a a, a very, like a, a massively different view of what's happening on Sunday morning. Yeah. Like, I, I, I mean, I think like, I don't even know. Like, I, I'm just like wondering, like, what does Curtis Chang and David French and, and Russell Moore, like, what do they think is supposed to be happening on Sunday morning? Because yeah. I, I think as a pastor, and, and I'm curious what you, what you think, Nate, but um, like, I'm thinking to myself, like Sunday morning worship, when we gather as the saints, when we when we um, renew covenant with the Lord of the universe, I'm 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 thinking, like outsource, like like what? I mean, in in what universe do you do you think to yourself, you know, these very very significant things? I you know, yeah, I better not bring them up at the most important meeting of the week um with the lord of the universe i mean i mean what i mean what what kind of view of sunday morning worship must you have to think, really- think that way yeah i i think it's uh it, it, i mean it shows a larger problem obviously but the the view is that sunday morning is about transfer of information right that uh wow. sunday morning is about opening up the bible and teaching people what the bible says and that's a noble goal we ought to you know want to teach people what the bible says but that's such a a pared down version of what sunday morning worship actually is sunday morning worship 
is the covenant people of God coming to renew covenant and being brought up into the heavenlies, you know, to be there in the throne room of grace with the Lord of the universe. And to the idea that that could be anything other than incarnational, first of all, but also that, you know, um, a pastor would want to outsource any of that. It just it just shows the reduction of Sunday morning to uh, a seminary. They, they just they, they view it like the transfer of information. And like and it sounds like like it, viewing it as a seminary would sort of be like at best. Right. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, and a like, bad one, a bad yeah, seminary, yeah, like a really bad <laughs> seminary. But like, I guess I, I'm, I'm imagining like this kind of just sort of nonchalance about encouraging pastors to pass the buck. Don't take responsibility. Don't be a man. Don't be a mm-hmm. shepherd. Don't actually get into the nitty gritty of applying the word of God. To, I mean, I'm just yeah. like, like even, I mean, I think you're being a little bit generous. Nate, <laughs> I, I, so I am too. Canadian, right? So yeah, I'll be yeah, confused to being yeah, too polite. <laughs> yeah, that's coming off right now. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, in all honesty, there's, um, like I said, I mean, there's not three guys that I would trust less to uh, handle this topic. But on, on top of that, I think one of the, the main things that's going on here is they have such a... Um, I would say inflated view of themselves if they think that most churches throughout the uh, you know America would want to allow them to come in and sort of infiltrate the community. I think it's just like I just can't imagine as a shepherd bringing like we I, I guard my pulpit. I know Toby, you guard guard yeah. your pulpit. Not just anybody can come in and speak to my sheep, right? Like not not everybody. I'm an under shepherd. Christ is the the shepherd, and uh, the idea that they as you said, would be so nonchalant about um, being given that space, being given that privilege, I think just shows what a reduced view of church they have. It's You know, Nate, I was, as you were talking about what happens in worship, I've been really pondering this probably since two, 2020 when we went to G3 and they did the whole thing on worship. Remember that? And we, uh, we had Pastor Wilson there and we did Worship is Warfare. Oh, yeah. Right. And we that's kind of been a drum. Pastor Wilson has been beaten for a long time. Right. But when you talked about what happens in worship, we actually go up to the heavenlies. Immediately in my head, I started having this bifurcation of like, well, yeah, that's spiritual. Right. Like that's that's something that happens, you know, up here in this top tier in my head. Kind of we're, we're, we're in heaven and we're with the people of God. But that's not just like some floating. That's a reality. That's what's actually trans. That's what actually is happening. But yeah. we don't think about it like that. And because we don't see the connection of the two in the Lord's table and in baptism and Lord's supper, the preaching of the word, the call to worship, there is something about not understanding that properly that doesn't allow us to apply worship practically on the ground either. So then our warfare, as we think about worship as warfare, we think about worship as warfare somewhere up there, but it doesn't touch down down here. Right. And so how what is it that is going on in our in in our worship that, you know, if it was going if warfare was going on down here in that way, I think you have guys who would say, wait a second, this is real battle. So I got to get my hands around this, protect my people. But if it's all supernatural and spiritual, you know, put that over there and we'll just preach up here. And then all the practical stuff down here, worship doesn't touch any of that in a real way. So I can have somebody I can sub that out. Mm. Right. Yeah. And so something is going on where we have this split. What is that? I, you know, 
Knox, you and I both uh, are, are blessed to have been uh, um, early in our Christian lives, be in the charismatic circles. Oh, and right. uh, I think <laughs> and I think that one of the things that happens um, in, in that environment, and it, it seeps into a lot of other traditions as well, is we have this idea that, okay, worship is warfare in, in terms of, you know, uh, all of the Ephesians 6 and, you know, 2 Corinthians 10 kind of ways where this is spiritual warfare. It's going on in the heavenlies. We It's doing invisible warfare against the principalities and powers of darkness in the air. Um, but like you said, it, it doesn't necessarily touch our individual lives. I, I think that's just that's just dualistic thinking. I, I mean, that's just the uh, the leaking in of Gnosticism and dualism into the church and our thinking because we forget that everything is connected, right? So as you were describing, you know, the worship that goes on in the heavenlies when God's covenant people come together for corporate worship, we are in two places at once. We are physically in the church that we are sitting in, and we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Mm. Hebrews 12 makes it abundantly clear that we are with the angels in festal gathering, and and well, the worship uh, of Yahweh goes on in heaven by God's covenant people as we renew covenant. Um, you know, it sends convulsions to the earth. I mean, this mm. is the entire pattern of the book of Revelation, right? Um, worship of the lamb in heaven results in convulsions on the earth. Mm. And so we, we forget that it's not just principalities and invisible forces that we're fighting through our warfare. It, it's actually physical because it makes makes a difference here on the earth. It, one of the things I've been preaching through the book of Genesis um, for a long, long time now, and we've been studying the life of Abraham now for many months. And one of the things that struck me in Genesis chapter 12, you get Abraham, he's called into this new land, and he goes to the land of Canaan. And a couple chapters later, we're actually going to find out, like, despite um, some of the depictions of, of Abraham in movies or in Sunday schools or flannel graphs and all that kind of stuff, we... Abraham is not like this this nomadic guy with a couple of servants running around with a tent. I mean, this is a, a a powerful man who is seen by the Canaanites as a prince of God, it says a couple chapters later. Mm. Um, and he's powerful enough that a couple chapters later in Genesis chapter 14, when Keterleomer, the Mesopotamian king, comes down to squash the rebellion of the five kings in Canaan, Abraham has a strong enough force that when Lot is taken, he goes and the text says he slays or vanquishes Keterleomer and all of the kings that are allied with him. So I just say that to say Abraham had the power to come into Canaan and take the land by force. I mean, he he beat the guy who beat mm. the kings who yeah. own the land. Right. But he didn't come in with a sword. He didn't come in with a political agenda. He came in, and the first thing he does, chapter 12 says, is he sets up altars. Mm. He establishes the worship of the true and living God in the pagan land, knowing that this has been promised to him. It's been given to him by promise. And even though there's not an actualization of his ownership of the land yet, the first thing that he needs to do is establish the, the true worship of the true and living God in this pagan land, because that's what begins the warfare that eventually is going to see um, his uh, his uh, progeny inherit the land. What? So he understood something that we don't. Why, why are you not giving this man an organ? I, I, because I have another. I think there's an organ going to come. Okay, I'll give him, I'll give him a little something. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? A little something, something like that. Okay, I got some more for you. So if so, if we're seeing weak convulsions here on earth, it's because we we have weak worship going up to heaven, right? We, exactly. So then yeah. how do we then fix that so we can get strong convulsions, convulsions here on earth? How do you fix that worship thing? Well, I think... Um 
I, I think what what dictates when we say weak and strong worship, I think one of the first things we have to do is we have to realize that our, our categories are all jumbled oftentimes as as North American Christians. We think strong worship means heightened emotions, you know, a little bit of riff on the guitar, you know, whatever else. Like we, we think that strong worship is um, strongly emphasized emotions that the worship service leads us to. And I would say the difference between strong and weak worship is whether how accurate is it according mm. to how God has prescribed us to worship him, Come right? On, how, how true, how obedient is it to the, the blueprints for worship that God has given in, in his word? And so um, what makes worship weak is when we do things in our worship services that God has not prescribed and we are offering him strange fire, we're offering him the kind of worship that is actually a, a, a clanging uh, sound to him or the kind of worship that is um, an abomination to him, quite frankly. And so um, there's all kinds of things. I mean, we can go, we can go anywhere with this conversation that you want to. I mean, we we send kids out of the worship service and and God loves kids. Right. And we, um, you know, we, we use all kinds of uh, modern gizmos and gadgets to elevate, make this worship stronger when what God is actually after is a contrite hearts. So there's all kinds of aspects to that. But w- what I would say is strong worship is worship as God has prescribed. That's really good. And and I, I, I'm just thinking, I'm running in a number of different directions here. One is, you know, people uh, frequently, one of the other bifurcations or whatever the other dualisms that you will find in a lot of modern evangelical churches is, well, that was in the old covenant. Yeah. But, yeah. but you know, in the old covenant, God was kind of intense. Right. He was kind of moody. Um, and then in the new covenant, he turned over a new leaf and he's our buddy in Jesus, which you, of course you pointed out already, Hebrews 12 is like the exact contradiction to that point. I mean, the, the Hebrews 12 says you thought it was intense at Sinai. Um, that, that was check out Zion. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Check out Zion. This like, that was his indoor voice. Like that yeah. was that was God's indoor voice from from just the top of the mountain shaking just one little one little mountain in the Middle East. Now he's in heaven and he's shaking heaven and earth and you you better listen um, because yeah. he, he's a consuming fire. I, I I also just think in terms of I mean how many um, modern evangelical churches, reformed churches, even I mean how many of them do you go to the website and and they and you know they advertise and they say uh, come worship with us. Um, with fear and trembling, you know, uh, come, you know, come, come. That's come, not very welcoming, come, Toby. Yeah, come to our church. We fear the Lord. Uh, I, mean, it, yeah. I mean, 95 percent of the church websites are the exact opposite. Don't worry, yeah. nothing scary happens here. Don't worry. Yeah. Come, come as you are. You're totally fine. Yeah. Um, and then, and then the other thing I was thinking of is just you mentioned the kids sending the kids out, and and again, it's like Psalm eight says that it's actually in the voices of children and infants that God silences our enemies. I mean, yeah. t- I mean talk about you know, spiritual warfare. And, and that was Old Covenant. They were circumcised then. We don't let them in the New Covenant now. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> Old Testament that's, stuff. That's, but you're, you're right, though, Toby. Like, I, I think what's interesting is that like nothing makes the the enemies of God shudder more than our children singing in worship that's mm. right and and I think that um so I mean I I think that the other image that's coming to mind obviously we're talking about Hebrews 12 but the other one that comes to my mind is Ezekiel 47 
um, when Ezekiel is given the vision of the uh, the water flowing out of the temple to heal the nations. Yeah. And, um, you know, it starts off as just this little drip and, it, you know, gets up to his ankles and his knees. And then it's this mighty river that he, no, he can't cross. And, and as it's going, it's giving life everywhere. You know, that's a picture of, of not only the church, but it's actually it's a picture of the worship that happens inside mm. the church. And so what what happens in the church works its way into the culture. Right. I think it was Bonson who said that, um, you know, the the culture is the report card of the church. Yeah. And so, um, you know, when we look at a culture of death that hates kids and, and puts them to death at record numbers and we ask the question, why is that happening? Well, part of the answer is because what's flowing out of our worship services? What's what's happening in our churches? We send the kids down to the basement to learn from, you know, some lady with a flannel graph. We don't value children in the worship service. We don't believe that, it, you know, God ordains the praise in the, the mouths of our children. We don't believe that their praises off tune and, you know, whatever as they may be. Uh, we don't believe that they're potent and powerful and mm. send the enemies of darkness running, but they do. That's what scripture says. And so when we don't worship God, the other thing that comes to my mind is um, we were talking about just how how God ordains praise. Well, th throughout scripture, when when the people of God are, are coming into the presence of God, they're commanded to cleanse themselves. They're commanded to confess their sins. How many, how many worship services don't even begin with confession. And so is God even hearing the prayers of his people? Like when we go up into the throne room, presuming upon the grace of God, rather than confessing our sins so that we know that we can worship him with a clear conscience, mm. um, how weak is, uh, to use uh, Knox's word, how weak is our worship when it's happening with unclean hands? I'm, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I know we can just keep riffing on this. I, I'm thinking of the kids still, and I, I think it's a really good point on, on confession and, and, and worship and, and so on. But, you know, here we are. I, I know, you know, America is like five minutes behind Canada in terms yeah. of like just yeah. how um, flamboyant we have de determined to be, how high-handed uh, we have determined to be in defying the living God in our yeah. public square. And um, and so often conservative Christians have this sort of sense of, you know, beleaguered, um, you know, we're surrounded on every side and and we don't have, you know, we feel we feel outnumbered and outgunned. And, and, and sort of like if only we had reinforcements. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 there it is in, in Scripture where, where God says, you know, unless I build your house, you're building in vain, unless I guard your city. Uh, your your watchmen um, stay awake in vain. Um, he, he he says, you know, you worrying and 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 stressing about this does no good at all because God gives His beloved sleep, and then and then says, "Lo, children are the inheritance of the Lord. Uh, children are arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior." Uh, he, he says, "Blessed is the man who has a quiver full of them." He will not be ashamed. Those children will stand with him and speak with his enemies in the gate. And, yeah. it, it, you know, if only we had reinforcements. <laughs> and, and God is like giving piles and piles of reinforcements, this inheritance uh, that, would, that would take away our shame. <laughs> that would that would yeah. take that would take away um, this 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 um, shameful retreat that we find ourselves in this culture, and we're like, you know, go down to the basement with a flannel graph, 
Well, that just that's, yeah. that's just pointing to the fact that we're not mighty warriors. <laughs> right. Right. Like because yeah. yeah. we should see that and be like, ooh, look yeah. what I can do with yeah. these. Yeah, reinforcements. Reinforcements. Arrows, right? weapons. But that we don't see them like that. Yeah. So that's the pro it's part of the problem. Right. Okay. You gotta and, add and, to me. And that just and that just shows I'm gonna read this ad, but um that just shows too, like I'm back to your point. I mean that is that is really like again, I'm really I'm really sorry that Knox didn't give you the organ faster because uh, I, I that that point about Having the army to fight the land. Yeah. Yeah. But worshiping first. Yeah. That is money. And and I think, and this is, you know, some of some of my brothers that I, I think mean well in the Christian nationalism conversation need to hear that. Mm. Um it, it, it's it's it if we don't get the worship right, even if they handed the keys over to us tomorrow. We, yeah, would, we, we wouldn't would, be ready. We would screw it up. That's right. We would. Yeah. We would. That's we right. would become just like our enemies. That's right. Um, and and we because right. we we wouldn't be ready for that privilege. We wouldn't be ready for that um, that authority yet because we haven't learned to take responsibility. Like like you're saying before. All right. Let me let me read this ad and then I'll, I'll um we'll come right back. Not so long ago, the American dream was alive and well. Employees who worked hard were rewarded, and employers looked for people. Who could do the job, not for people who had the right political views. Redballoon.work is a job site designed to get us back to what made American businesses successful. Free speech, hard work, and having fun. If you're a free speech employer who wants to hire employees who focus on their work and not identity politics, then post a job on redballoon.work. If you're an employee who is being censored at work or is being forced to comply with the current zeitgeist, post your resume on redballoon.work and look for a new job today. Redballoon.work, the job site where free speech is still alive. Redballoon.work. Nate, this feels like one of those questions where you're not going to like the answer. I, th I think there's a lot of people, um, lately I've, when I go on shows and been talking to people, they ask me, oh my goodness, we've lost the culture, we've lost our children, marriages div and divorce is, divorce is winning and marriages aren't su surviving or lasting. What do we do and how do we fix it? And every time I go back and say, well, we need Jesus, everybody's like, yeah, 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 I got that. But, but, but how but do we really, fix it? But what do we really need? <laughs> but, <really? laughs> when you say, <laughs> but what do we really need to do? And then you start walking it out and they still don't like it because you're telling what it means to have faith and trust in Jesus, right? And right now, both we're both in an election year. We're uh, over here in, in the West, America. You guys are in uh, one, two, I believe right now, right? We are, yeah. Okay, and so... What does it look? What does worship rightly done? How does it affect or engage with where we currently are with our election? Because tr Trump's got a whole situation going on there. I mean, looking at any <laughs> videos of Biden is like, what is going on? Like yeah. this is bad. Not 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 to mention yeah. not to mention Trudeau. And then you got blackface then, Trudeau. Since Gabe's not here, I just go ahead and say <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, good, good. Um, and 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 then this other person who's running is more progressive. You guys got some problems, and then you say, so now now you're going to say just worship is going to fix that. Yeah, I am. Um, I think, you know, there's there's a lot that, look, I don't, I'm not trying to advocate for a lack of care or political engagement. I think that churches ought to be politically engaged. I think that pastors need to talk about um, uh, politics from the pulpit, not shy away, certainly not bring in Russell Moore to talk to their congregation <laughs> about that. Facts. Um, but uh, I so so yes, get get politically engaged. I think um, in terms of actual like, so we have Pierre Polyev in Canada, and it's interesting as I watch a bunch of Canadians kind of chase after him, and I keep kind of asking myself like, have we have we learned nothing? 
So mm. Pierre Polyev is great clickbait. Like he is awesome. If you just want to kill an hour of your time and waste it, um, just go on on uh, YouTube and look at Pierre kind of owning uh, the press. He's right now he's writing a master class on how to deal with biased reporters. Um, so he's he's doing a great job that way. But and and he's a fiscal conservative. Don't get me wrong. We we'd be in a much better financial situation if he was the guy. But at the end of the day, he hates God. And he's he's pro-abortion and he's pro-LGBT. He's not a social conservative. In fact, he said that the social conservatives are actually what's holding the Conservative Party of Canada back. So um, I think, you know, and and I mean, Trump's got his own issues. DeSantis had his own issues. Um, I don't know what I would have done if I was in the States uh, in the preliminaries. But um, at the end of the day, this is the problem. So when Knox, when you say we need Jesus, that's that's far more profound than people think, because at the end of the day, what you're not saying is, well, we need Trump to get, be elected, mm. right? What Canada needs is Pierre to get elected. What we actually need is is Christ, because um, when the church places its hope in anyone else or anything else as the uh, the transforming agent of their culture, um, we've already lost, right? We've we've given up our, our foundation. So when you ask, like, what what do we need? How How does our worship actually touch down? Well, it touches down in a couple, I think, very practical ways, because what's going on in that in that worship is is not just, you know, we worship in heaven and God sends convulsions on the earth. Part of the convulsions he sends on the earth is sending back his transformed people. Right. Mm. When we when we see and we worship Christ, we are transformed into his image as we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's what we are doing when we are worshiping in the heavenlies in our worship services. And then as his transformed people, like Moses, uh, Corinthians says, coming down off Sinai with his face glowing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, coming to Zion instead of Sinai, his people come down and that that what was physical and glowing, we come down transformed and ready to transform the culture around us. And so I often remind people like, no, no, I'm not saying don't get politically involved. I'm saying focus on worship, be transformed by the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and then go and make change in your particular sphere of influence. And, and we have this top-down idea that if Trump gets elected, he can do this. If if Pierre can get, gets elected, he can do this. And I always encourage people to stay, start locally, right? You are a transformed person who has been transformed by the worship of God in the heavenlies. And then you are sent down. And this is the this is the pattern. We gather and we're brought up and then we scatter as mm. we come down. And then we are to pray, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does that practically happen? The people of God transformed by the worship of God are sent back, unleashed back into the world to make transformation in their local sphere. So don't get so caught up in the um, in, in politics that are far away. Get caught up in politics that are close to home. And, and it always starts, it always starts self-rule, family rule, church rule, culture rule, right? And you're not qualified for one until you you master the first. Glory. Oh, oh, oh yeah, I, 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 that's that's glorious. That's mm. glorious. I, and I just want to add one thing is in that passage in in Second Corinthians three, where it's talking about being transformed from glory to glory into the image of Christ. Um, the thing the thing to note is, and and that transformation, the way that we behold um, the image of Christ, the face of Christ, the way we are changed from glory to glory, is in the reading. Of Moses. Mm. That's right. Mm. <laughs> don't, don't miss that. Don't yeah. miss that. It's the word of God that is transforming us. It's it's the reading of Moses that 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 Paul is saying specifically to this day, he says the Jews hear Moses, 
and there's a veil over their hearts mm. because, yeah. because they've rejected the Messiah who is the key to unlocking the full yeah. meaning of Moses. Yeah. The fullness of the law and the fullness of the law, the fullness yeah. of, and, and um, I, I just, good. I just finished reading uh, and same thing with Moses. I mean, even Moses himself going up on the mountain, he, he didn't see God. So the backside, right. but the thing That's he, right. but even when he had that vision of God, what he, what he actually had a vision of was it says, and God proclaimed his name. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the, 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 um, the, the God most merciful, um, everlasting. Wow. Um, I got it. And so it's, it's word. Yeah. It's the word yeah. proclaimed and it's the word proclaimed, um, in all of its fullness to <sighs> all of life. And, and that's the thing that then we see Christ in the word proclaimed. And that is what transforms us from glory to glory. That is what sends us out into the world. And it's it's not just a lecture. It's not just information. It's not just a data transfer like we were talking about. But earlier. that's the thing that we're ashamed of the but, most. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, you know, like that's, it's, and that's so good. The, the um, I just finished reading uh, Pastor Wilson's new book, American Milk and Honey. Is it that good? Oh, man. It's, it's, Is it's, it that a good book? Okay. It's, I can't wait to talk about it. It's, it's such a good book. It's straight fire. But yes. one of the things that he points out towards the end is um, he's talking about um, kind of the, the Jewish yeah. Christian roots of America and the yes. founding of, of, of the colonies and points out that this is, this is a Protestant thing where the bunch of Protestants, I mean, what drove the Protestant reformation was a bunch of um, guys going to study with Jewish rabbis mm. to learn Hebrew, to study the old Testament. And then particularly in Scotland under John Knox, they applied those covenantal um, principles Come on, you, you preaching from now. the old Testament into their culture and that's where you get um, the Covenanter movement. Yes! And then it's a bunch of those Scottish Presbyterians coming to the States. Oh, I love this. And founding America. And this one guy he quotes, Pastor Wilson quotes, um, call, says, um, they might as well have been called Old Testament Christians. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I was just like thinking to myself, you know, like, you know, you know people would be like, I'm a New Testament yeah, Christian. Yeah, well, you yeah. know, this, this country, this, I mean, I think in North America broadly, um, was founded on the principles of Old Testament Christianity. That's right. <laughs> I love yeah, it. That's you know? right. It's it's you know it's it, in the light of and in, in uh, of of the coming of the Messiah and the apostles. Absolutely, we're not we're not cutting one out. We're not unhitching anything here. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I just I just want to emphasize that that transformation that that Nate just suggest just just um, described beautifully um, is exactly right, and it comes. Through the preaching, the proclamation of the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God, Old Testament and New Testament applied to all of life. That's how we are mm. transformed into the image and likeness of Christ. And that's how the earth is, is shaken um, with, yeah. the, with the glory of God. Nate, I want to give you the last word, man. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, uh, Knox, as you were talking about just the, um, or as both of you were talking about the uh, the word of God. So what's interesting is that the, um, you know, you said that there's a lot of people who call themselves New Testament Christians now, even red letter Christians were even, you know, narrowing it further. Right. And it is interesting that you pointed out, Toby, that that uh, passage in in Corinthians is is about the the reading of Moses. And I think, you know, it it is the word that transforms. And when we ignore the Old Testament, we're we're actually ignoring the mm. blueprints that God has given for the construction and the blessing of nations, yeah. right? So when you are looking at the law of God, God is, is giving us the gift of this is how life works best in my world. 
this is how this is what it looks like to love neighbor this is what this is what civil agreements look like this is what covenants look like this is what marriage looks like yes this is what the relationship of family looks like this is the relationship between the church and the state like it's all there in the law of god and how many churches so in this they not only do they not understand what's going on in worship like we've been talking about but even when they do bring the word and even if they have a downplayed version of just this is information transfer, how many churches are preaching through the book of Leviticus right. and, and the book of Deuteronomy <laughs> and, and talking about how the law of God actually shapes their nation? So there, if, if we do preach the whole counsel of God, not only are we transformed, but we have to be equipped with the word of God, the law word of God, that then we go into the various spheres of our lives and we say, this is what God's law says about medicine. Yep. This is what God's law says about law. This is what God's law says about education. Right. This is what God's law says about you know the civil authorities. And, and we're not equipped because not only are we not transformed because we have this down, downgraded version of worship, but we are also not equipped because many North American pastors are are comfortable preaching through the Psalms and the, and the, and the New Testament, and they don't understand and they're neglecting the doing the hard work of figuring out how what's the general equity principle of the law and how does this apply to the plumbers in my congregation, to the stay-at-home moms in my congregation, to the lawyers in my congregation, right? But they're not and, preaching uh, through the Psalms. If they were, that's all in the Psalms. <laughs> Well, yeah, but you know, they like, they like selective Psalms. Yeah. Psalm two's off the table, but you know. All right. Okay. Nate, do you got a couple more minutes? Yeah, I got a couple more minutes. Okay. I'm going to ask him about Alistair Begg. Oh yeah. I got another question too. All right. We'll talk to Nate backstage. Nate, thank you for joining us, man. Go check out all of your articles at EzraInstitute.com. Awesome. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until tomorrow, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. See you backstage, pub members. My name is Jamie Piles. I joined Samaritan in December of 1996. We were homeschooling our kids, and we were already thinking outside the world's box, if you will. And I saw a little tiny classified ad about this new kind of idea I'd never heard of before. My first reaction was, that's the kind of thing that we would do, isn't it? And so I finally called the number, talked to them, and the more I asked them questions, the more I liked their answers. 